Hey everybody, welcome to the X Report. I'm Raven X, and alongside me, as always, is Biggie, aka Ethan Tate, aka the coolest Memphis Grizzlies fan I know. How you doing today, Ethan? I'm doing really well. Um, as far as Grizzlies go, I am frustrated by some of the awkward value when people have been doing with Grayson Allen, but overall, I'm good. Yeah, it has been. Since we recorded last week, a lot has happened with regards to the NBA from the draft to free agency. It is a lot. And, of course, here at the X Report, we're going to talk about it. We got you covered. But first, we want to kick off the show um, giving our top five defensive players by position. We're also going to play a quick game of believable or buffoonery, um, talking about Phillip Rivers and if we should ex- be expecting him back some point of the season. And like I said, with the NBA, we're going to talk the NBA draft, break down some of our favorites and least favorite picks, do some of our favorite and least favorite deals with free agency as well. But before we get into any of that, please be sure to check out the xreport.net. I repeat, the xreport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow xreport writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled the X Report. Now, to kick things off with the top five defensive players, like we did last week, we ranked offensive players, and now this time we're going on the defensive side of the ball, and we're going to start off with defensive tackles. So, Ethan, you want to do it how we did last week, where we just alternated. You want to go. You want me to go. How you want to do it? Yeah, we're going to alternate. All right, cool. You can start us off. All right, I'm going to start off at one and start off at five. Uh, we can start off at five. safer pick I'm gonna say Cam Hayward of the Pittsburgh Steelers I mean Cam Hayward is just a cog in a very good Steelers defense to where he may not be the most name brand cat or the flashiest cat on the field but he does his job and he does it exceptionally well as a Ravens fan I see him all too often in my backfield and I don't like it but Cam Hayward definitely um is one of those top guys for me all right we got it four At four for me, I'm going to go Chris Jones for the Kansas City Chiefs. I think I'm not as high on Chris Jones as a lot of people are, which, I mean, it is what it is. But, I mean, he does get the job done. He's their best defensive lineman. Um, I just think that he provides a big pass rushing presence that they really don't get much else um, on the Chiefs defense. I mean, but he is definitely one of their strongest pieces. Um, he's really that the best player among their front seven. And I think that he's pretty much a perfect fit for what they're trying to do defensively. Um, for me, it's three. Uh, for me, it's between Kenny Clark of the Green Bay Packers and Chris Jones. I think both of 
defensive tackle position. I think Kenny Clark is a better run stuffer than Chris Jones. But it's like you said, for what the defense is need, I feel like they're the perfect guys for these defense. Most of. All right, number three for me is another old reliable Fletcher Cox. I mean, no matter what it seems to be going on in Philly, their defensive line is going to produce mainly because Fletcher Cox is in tow, and Fletcher Cox is the man. He had a great year last year. I mean, if you need an example of just how much that man wrecked shop, just watch their game against the Saints. Taysom Hill had nowhere to go. Alvin Kamara was getting shut down. Like, Fletcher Cox is a guy who has consistently been a standout defensive player and has been doing it for a very long time. Yeah, for me at number two, I got to go with another Mississippi State Bulldog in Fletcher Cox. He, for everything that you said, he's the one constant on that defensive line, and he's a game record. He's a guy that you can – when you watch tape, you will constantly see him in the backfield making plays. And he's the most consistent piece on this Philadelphia defense. Yeah, most definitely. And then number two for me, I'm going to say DeForest Buckner. I think that since trading DeForest Buckner, I think that the 49ers really missed him along that defensive line. Even to this day, it's still questionable why they gave Eric Armstead that extension rather than paying DeForest Buckner because, I mean, Buckner definitely made his money in Indy last year. He made an already good defense great, and I think that he just proved, continues to prove his value and why he's such a great person to have in the middle of your defensive line, especially when it comes to run stuff. And number one, I'm pretty sure we both have yeah. the same as that person. It is none other than the freak of nature known as Aaron Donald. Yeah. This man, he produces video game stats on a season-to-season basis. In my opinion, he's the best defensive player in the NFL right now, period. Gotta be. Those positions, I don't care. You can say Jalen Ramsey. You can say T.J. Watt. I will take Aaron Donald before I take either one of them. Yeah. So, I gotta go with A.D. Yeah, no, I mean, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I mean, for the last at least four to five years, Aaron Donald has been at the top, or at least very close to it. In total agreeance with you, I mean, there's really nobody else you can really say. I think that with regards to if we're picking a number one player at a position, I think defensive tackle is the one where there's really no argument for who's at the top. All right, let's move on to edge rushers. So instead of doing defensive ends and then ranking um, outside linebackers as well, we're just going to kind of clump together who we feel are the top five best pass rushers in the league. So quick little tangent. All right, so starting off for me at number five, I'm going to say Joey Bosa. Last year had dealt with some injuries, but, I mean, you see when he's on the field, he's a game wrecker, had a tremendous game against the Bills. I think he had, what, three or four sacks? And it just he just showed why he is a great player. Um, even though I think in terms of the contract he got, I don't know if I would make him the second highest paid, you know, edge rusher in the league. But, I mean, for what the Chargers need and for what he does, I mean, he is a great guy. He reads offense as well. And, I mean, he just he comes in every Sunday and he does his job, and that's all you can really ask for. For me, at number five, I am going to go. I'm going to go with another repeat. I'm in the mood to say some bold things. I'm going to chase young. Wow. I think young. Okay. Yes. I think, I know this is wild and out of the blue, but I think that Chase Young, in his one season, I think for me, he's shown that he, as he progresses as a player and as he progresses more as a young man, He's going to take this step to be the upper 
think he's a guy that you could basically build a whole defense around, and he could be a stalwart defense for years to come. All right, so in terms of based off their rookie years, who do you feel more excitement for? Nick Bosa last year, well, back in 2019, or Chase Young after this last year? Because I would say Chase Young. I'm going Chase Young. Yeah, well, I would agree with you on that. All right, number four for me is Chandler Jones. While he may not be a guy who's a household name, I mean, besides last year, he was on a run of consistent double-digit sack years. And, I mean, if it was anybody else, we talk about Aaron Donald doing it time and time again, but Chandler Jones is in the same division doing, not going to say the same thing, but still getting such high production, and everybody knows that he's coming. And what makes even more impressive is that he's a bit older. He's probably the oldest person I have ranked on this list. And just his ability to continue to make plays, regardless of what offenses are doing, no matter the double teams, just shows just how great of a talent that Chandler Jones is and needs some respect on his name. And if he does get traded, he can always come to Baltimore. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you with Chandler Jones. He, like, it's weird to say that he's not a household name, but he's probably one of the more, like, talked about players as far as being underrated. And like you said, outside of last season, he was on the run of getting double digits at. So you can't argue with that. All right, now, number three is a bit tough for me because I had to base it. It was a conversation of overall and right now. And so when I made my list, I was banking it over overall. But I'm going to change it, and I'm going to go for right now. So number three, I'm going to put Khalil Mack. Um, I think that even though Khalil Mack, his last couple of years have been a bit quiet, I mean, Khalil Mack is still a dominant force. When you think of the Chicago Bears defense, your first thought is going to be Khalil Mack because, I mean, he still is a presence. I want to say he had, what, eight, nine sacks last year, which for most guys, that's a tremendous year. You're going to take that every year. But once you get to the caliber of Khalil Mack, when it's not double-digit stacks, you think it's a disappointment. But Khalil Mack is still just one of those most talented guys in the league. He's going to get his pressure, and, I mean, he's also one of the most fun players to watch on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you there with Khalil Mack. You know, I'm a Clouds of Bears fan. Oh, I love their defense. I love Khalil Mack. I've been a Khalil Mack fan since he was in Oakland. Yes, he hasn't put up the astronomical numbers that he has in the past. But you have to realize some of this probably due to age and also to defenses are more adept at figuring out ways to try to slow him down. Yeah. But Most definitely. All right, number two, Miles Garrett. I mean, he looks like he's going to kill your quarterback. He looks like he can rack up a whole bunch of sacks. He looks like an athletic freak, and lo and behold, that is precisely what he has done. Um, he look, came out of last season like a freaking rocket, looked like the front runner for defensive player of the year, got COVID and kind of slowed down a bit. But, I mean, Miles Garrett is another one of those guys who really, especially last year, there was really nobody else on that defense in Cleveland that you really had hope in, or at least to get a, enough pass rush. But still, no one could stop Miles Garrett, and that just shows the testament to his greatness and how great he can be in the future. So I got to go Khalil at two. I mean, not Khalil, uh, Miles Garrett at two. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you, too. I have to go Miles Garrett simply because when you're a guy and the whole game plan is to stop you, but yet you still dominate the game, that shows how great of a player you are. Because like you just stated, it's nobody, at least 
for the time being, it's been nobody else on the Cleveland Browns defense that nobody cared about. Yes, we know there's signs of Davey and Clowney. Um, I really don't care about them no more after. Last year. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I still feel like Miles Garrett, unless the Davey and Clowney can get stay healthy and show flashes of like, maybe 2015, 2016, to that being Then I still see it's going to be Miles Garrett's show alone. But he, he's a freaking agent. Yeah, 100%. I mean, he's just, he's a dominant presence on that line. But speaking of dominant presence, another AFC North guy, I got to go TJ Watt. I still think he should have won Defensive Player of the Year last year. But, I mean, I understand why it's hard to ever go up against Aaron Donald. But, I mean, T.J. Watt is just a freaking mauler. Like, reminiscent of what his brother was a few years ago, I mean, T.J. Watt is just one of those unstoppable forces. It seems like no matter what you do, he's going to get in the backfield. He's going to rack up tackles for loss. He's going to get his sacks. He's going to wreak havoc no matter what the game plan is. And, like, like I said, I'm a Ravens fan. And I hate the Steelers, but I respect the hell out of the Steelers. And T.J. Watt is one of those guys who if I looked up one day and I saw he got traded elsewhere, I would be so happy. Just so I wouldn't have to keep seeing that that monster twice a year. Yeah, I'm in agreement with these two. It has to be nobody else other than T.J. Watt. Uh, he's a freak of nature. He is weird because going into it, we knew that he was going to be good, but it was questions about how good he was going to be. Just simply because it's like when you have to live up to the uh, expectations that your brother set, it's like it's difficult. Like your brother was for a certain time, he was the best defensive player in the NFL, yeah. and now he's on a slower end. He's on a decline. Oh, absolutely. He's been an absolute dog. All right, inside linebacker. So you got at five. Line, this was probably the toughest one for me. Roquan Smith. I think that this is another cat who has just been doing so many great things under the radar that I think it's about time that his name becomes a household name. I mean, Chicago Bears fans know him, really big football fans know him just because he has been one of the better pieces, um, young pieces at linebacker for some time. And I think that it's about time he really gets his due. Um, who you got at four? He's been making 
He's been making standout plays. And honestly, he's one of the better coverage linebackers that's in the NFL. Like, he makes a lot of great plays in coverage as well as stopping the run. So I got to go real cool on that for all right, for me at uh, four, this is where I put Fred Warner. Um, I think that Fred Warner, if you ask me, I think he's the best defensive player in San Francisco. I think that what the defensive line does is great, but it's more of a collaborative ever effort, whereas with Fred Warner, I mean, he does everything on that second level. He can cover. He can stop the run. He is a great player. I mean, we talked about it a couple weeks ago. I wouldn't make him the highest-paid linebacker in the league, but I can totally understand why, just because of his importance in San Francisco. And I truly believe that without him there, this defense does not have its same impact. For me, it's three. Honestly, that's why I have, that's why I have Fred Warner. Because it's like you said, he, like the D-line, they get a lot of love, respectfully and rightfully so. But I think a lot of things that for that defense that they get made that gets made up for is having one of the fastest linebackers in the game. Like if you have holes in your secondary as far as across the middle, having a speedy linebacker can cover up for a lot of it. So I gotta put him at three. Alright, for three and me, this is where I see OG Bobby. I mean Admittedly, yes, he's lost a step, but, I mean, he's still one of the smartest linebackers at his position. I mean, he's still one of those defensive focal points that you have to pay attention to. You have to know where Bobby Wagner is at all times. And I think that it helps having somebody like Jamal Adams there, too, because whereas, you know, um, Bobby may lose a step or he may not be able to get to the running back or where he needs to be as quickly, you have Jamal there, and then, you know, Bobby can do the cleanup. And, I mean, he's still one of the most ferocious tacklers in the league. So, I'm going to go Bobby at three. For me at two, this is why I have Darius Leonard. Because my personal opinion, he's been – he's very underrated. I hate to say it because he plays for the coach. But he's one of those guys that he's a freak of nature. And when you look at him on field, he stands out. On film, he stands out. And, you know, seeing him – twice a year going up against Derrick Henry. And like some of he's one of the guys that when he matches up against Derrick Henry, it's like he doesn't back down. And it's you know, that says a lot about a guy. So I gotta put Derrick Leonard in too. Alright and two, this is where my boy Killer Dev goes. You know me. I'm an LSU fan. I'm going to rep any LSU player, you know, unless they do something stupid legally. But Devin White is my guy. He was my guy in college. He's my guy now. And while the regular season, I still think he played great. In the playoffs, that man went off into a whole nother level. And just his ability to really take that step up. I mean, hell. You people may forget, but I mean, he was one of the leading sackers on the Bucks last year. He had nine sacks, which was I want to say more than JPP, more than Shaq Barrett. The people who you would expect to get those passes. Not to mention, he also had multiple interceptions, had touchdown uh, returns for like everything you want a linebacker to do. That is literally what Devin White does. And mind you, he's only going into his third year in the league. As much as I want to say he's the best linebacker in the league right now, I. I can't do it, but between him and who I have at number one, I don't think it's going to be long before he surpasses him. You can do it. That's what I'm here for. My number one is Devin White. He, he can literally do it all. He can rush the pass. He can stop the run. He can cover. He can make up for play. He can cover from mistake 
your defense. I gotta go Devin White at one. Man, he's so, he's so good. He's so good. I might have to give me a Devin White jersey. I'm thinking about it. And then, all right, number one, this is where I have Darius Leonard. I mean, you pretty much hit it on the head. His nickname is Maniac, and he plays like one. I mean, just like I mentioned the impact of Fred Warner um, in San Francisco, the same goes for um, Darius Leonard, if not times 10. I mean, I don't think that defense – I don't consider that defense a top 15 group. Without Darius Leonard, I mean, he just does everything no matter what's against him. And I think just his ability to, you know, kind of defy those odds, you know, because he kind of had that stigma of coming out of a small school, coming out of South uh, Carolina State, and look at him now. I mean, he's just everywhere doing everything. He's just a bad man. All right, speaking of bad men, let's talk cornerbacks. And number five, I have Xavier Howard. I know a lot of people will probably have him higher and I get that because interceptions, I mean, everybody loves a good interception. But I don't know. Like, in terms of coverage, I've seen him get cooked quite a bit. And it's like either he's going to get burned or he's going to get a pick. It's really no in-between there. Um, I'm sure there are many teams who would love to have him. I mean, he's an upgrade over a lot of corners, hence why I still have him at number five. But I'm not as sold on him as everybody else is. For me at number five, I have J.C. Jackson for the New England Patriots. Show JC some love. Yeah, I gotta show my guy some love. Like, he's one of those guys that people forget about. Honestly, I think some of it has to do with the fact that he plays on the pages with Stephon Gilmore, who a lot of people still argue is the top three corner. So when you share that, when you share the field with the talent of their nature, you tend to get, um, like, looked at differently. But I think I got to throw him out there because it's like he's one of those guys that he could potentially, if on the right team, he could be a number one. And he could be a guy that you look up and it's like, I did not know this guy was that good. But he's been as good as his whole career. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off, but I mean, we talked about Xavier and Howard getting 10 picks. Well, JC had nine, but like you'd never hear anybody mention his ability to get pickoff passes too. So no, that's that's definitely that's definitely up there. Uh, number four for me, I'm gonna go JC's teammate. I'm gonna go Stephon Gilmore. I think that Stephon Gilmore, in terms of him being top three, I don't know if I would put him there right now. But I mean, he was last year's what? Did he win defensive player of the year last year? Or he was in the conversation for it. One of the yeah. I mean, he had a great year last year. I mean, he's a tremendous man in the man cover corner. I mean, he's also very good at zone. I mean, pretty much everything you want out of a corner, that's what Stephon Gilmore is. The only real knock on him was he's coming into this year. Um, he had an injury. He's a bit older, too. But, I mean, in terms of just what he's been able to do on a day-to-day basis, I mean, he's a very consistent guy. And, I mean, he's a fun player to watch. I mean, not when, you know, your favorite receiver's going up against him. But, I mean, Stephon Gilmore is a guy who gets the job done. For me, at number four, this is where I go, Xavier Howard. For everything that you stated, I think, like you said, with him, he gambles a lot. And a lot of times he's shown that it pays off. But the big thing with gambling is when you go up against elite level receivers, sometimes you can get burnt. And he's shown tendencies every now and then to get burnt. So I gotta, I think I would take him slightly above JC. And it's honestly more or less, like you said, like the interception rate. Like I know that they basically only had one interception between the two. But it's like, if I know I have a guy that can pretend to be a ball hog, I potentially kind of value 
allow you him a little bit more because there's more opportunities for our offense to get the ball. Yeah, absolutely. All right, for me at number three, I'm going to say Tredavious White. I think that this is somebody who – he goes under the radar a bit, but I mean, and we mentioned a lot about the defense does not run without them. Well, that's the case for Tredavious White for the Bills. While they have a nice uh, safety duo, I mean, Tredavious White is far in between their best secondary member. I mean, he can get interceptions. He's a physical tackler. He breaks up a lot of passes. Not many receivers get past him, and that's that goes against whoever. It doesn't really matter. He's going to do his job. He's going to be physical. And he's going to talk his stuff and back it up. And I think that Trey isn't, isn't like I said, he's once again not one of those cats who's a household name. But his play does his talking for him. For me, at number three, I have, this is hard, but I'm going to have today because why they three for everything that you just said. I think he... He's shown that he's a lockdown corner. He's shown that when he's not on the field, that he's missed. And when you're that, when you have that much of an effect on the entire defense, that you have to be top three in my opinion. All right, move, moving on to number two. This is where I have Marlon Humphrey. I mean, where I know that the knock is he doesn't get interceptions, but, I mean, the man had eight forced fumbles last year. Like, he is like the reincarnation of Peanut Tillman. He's just a little bit of a bigger dude. Not to mention he's awesome in coverage, has great ball skills. I mean, it's hard to catch passes on Marlon Humphrey. He's just so good. Not to mention it's not like you can really slag off on the other side either because there you have Marcus Peters. So quarterbacks are forced to challenge Marlon, and Marlon is always there for the task. I mean, he's definitely one of the better Baltimore Ravens, and I think that he's really just kind of ushering in the new era of great Baltimore Ravens, and he's 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 a dog. That man is – Marlon is a bad man. So, for me, too, I have another tie. This is where I have Stephon Gilmore and Marlon Humphrey. Simply, I think, yes, Stephon Gilmore isn't the – the lockdown defensive player of the year corner that he was in a couple years past. But he's still a top three corner, top two corner in my opinion. And in the case of Marlon Humphreys, it's like you said, he's multifaceted. Like he's a guy, he can cover, but he can run up and get a and force a formula on a running back. And there's not that many corners in today's NFL that are doing it. Just like you said, he's a re he's Peanut Tillman reincarnated. And to me, Yes, he doesn't nearly have that many interceptions as other guys, but it's like if he's able to force eight fumbles and say he gets five or six interceptions, that's way more turnovers than just those 10 picks. So I got to have more than that too, along with Stephon Gilmore. All right, and then number one, I'm pretty sure we have that same answer, but I'm going Jalen Ramsey. I just think that, I mean, what more really needs to be said? After having a down year a couple years ago, he totally bounced back in 2020, really solidified himself as that top corner, especially in the new environment. So I'm going Jalen. Yeah, there's no other person to say other than Jalen. And it's not really a question to say. It's kind of like a foregone conclusion. All right, safeties. Now, this was another tough one, but who you got at five? If you want me to go, I can. Yeah, I want you to go. I'm still trying to think. 
right, so F5, this is where I have Jesse Bates. I mean, the Bengals' defense is really not much to write home about at all, even after signing Trey Hendrickson, you know, even after having a good year from Von Bell last year. I mean, it's, it's not the prettiest thing in the world, but what is pretty is watching Jesse Bates do his work. I mean, he gets interceptions. He's a stout tackler. Once things get behind that third level, I mean, it's hard to get the ball past him. And, I mean, he's really just a really strong figure for the Bengals. And I think that their defense, even though I'm not saying their defense is great, but without him, they would be even worse. Okay, so at number five, I'm going to go with Jamal Adams. I know typically we would have him higher. But I'm going to, like I said, I like to say so. I got him at five. He's a hard hitter. He's a guy that can make plays in coverage and on the run and in the run run game. But he's one of those guys where it's like he had a little initially he had a little bit of a drop early with Seattle and he kinda evened himself out and got back to his top level play. But I just think that, you know, I gotta put him at five. All right, and four, this is where I put Tyron Matthew. I think that the Tyron Matthew disrespect is getting a bit out of hand. Um, I think that we often forget just the versatility of Tyron Matthew, and not just in terms of his ability, but how great of a leader he is. I mean, the Kansas City Chiefs, like, that was the best defensive signing they could have asked for because not only has Tyron delivered as a player, but also as a leader. He's truly, like, the quarterback of that defense. He gets people where they need to be. He makes those plays. And, I mean, just Tyron Matthew is really – like, I mentioned with um, Chris Jones, but, I mean, like – Tyron Matthews is really a perfect fit for what the Chiefs want to do, and without them, him, I'm scared to think how bad that defense would be. Yeah, for me and four, this is why I have Tyron Matthews also for everything that you just stated. He is—it's weird because it's like when it comes out of Tyron Matthews, it's people that either disrespect him or they overly—they put too much value into him, like by saying he's like the top safety. He's an amazing safety. I don't see him as a top, but I definitely don't see him below five. So I got to throw him at four. All right, at three, this is where I have a Harrison Smith. Another guy who's a bit older, but I mean – once again, age ain't nothing but a number if you're still doing your job. And Harrison Smith is one of those guys who continues to do his job. Injuries kind of hurt a bit. I mean, and if you look at last year's Vikings defense, you wouldn't think that anybody produced. But Harrison Smith continues to be that guy who is a force on that back end. Like I mentioned earlier with other players, he's a very smart player. He seems to know where the ball is going even before this play is called. And his ability just to get to the ball and force those impact plays continues to make him a top three safety, in my opinion. And three for me, I got Eddie Jackson. And I'm saying there's a lot of this is biased that I like the Chicago Bears and I like that defense. But, you know, I got him there. He's a hell of a playmaker. He's a guy. I honestly think I have him there because he's a guy that I know when he gets near the ball, he makes plays on the ball. He's a guy that if the ball's in the air, he's gonna, he can come down with it and make exciting play as far as a return and like I kind of stated earlier where for me I do hold some value in guys that are able to get the ball back for their offense or take it to another still score after they get an uh, interception or a force fumble and Eddie Jackson he's the guy that's known to do that alright fair enough I mean Eddie Jackson is 
In terms of like some of the best defensive players with the ball in their hand, Andy Eddie Jackson for me is easily top five. Really could make argument for top three too if I really want to think about the list, but for top five easily. So I understand that. Number two, now this is where I put Jamal Adams, kind of like what I said with Marlon Humphrey. He may not get the interceptions, but he's going to impact the game in other ways. Last year, he set the record for um, sacks for a defensive, I mean not defense, uh, for a defensive back with nine and a half. He led Seattle. Mind you, he had to take snaps at safety. He took snaps at linebacker. He took snaps at defensive end. He took snaps in the slot. He played all over the field and still just had that major impact. I know people are going to get on him because he's a defensive back without that many interceptions, but just his ability to EB an enforcer. He is going to make things happen regardless of how it does, whether it be a pass breakup, whether it be a sack, whether it be a tackle for loss. He is always where he needs to be with regards to being by the ball. And I think that that's something that can never be understated about his impact. And then kind of like what I mentioned with Tyron Matthew, he's a vocal leader. He's an energizer. When he's on the field, Seattle's defense, you can just tell a light bulb goes off. And there's not a lot of players who come on the field and you can just feel the defense just toughen up. But John Jamal Adams is definitely one of those cats. For me, too, I have Buddha Baker. And I know that it's a stretch, and I know that it's a reach, but during the course of last season, he was showing flashes of being a top two safety. He was all around the field. He was running around like a bat out of hell. He was making plays. He was hitting people. He was picking the ball off. And I know it's hard because a lot of people – the only thing that I remember about Buddha Baker from last season, I it's feel like DK, when DK right Baker down. Hawked him down. Yeah, when DK hawked him down, but people also have to realize, like, Buddha was making hella plays last year. Yeah. Especially, especially the, the game against the Cowboys. Oh, he had an like, amazing game. It was like he was all over the field. Yeah. So I got I remember us talking when he got his contract, and I think at the time it made him the highest paid safety. And I remember both of us being like, well, no, nah, I don't know about that, because I think at that time he didn't even have any interceptions. And he came in the last year and completely turned the tide. For me, Buddha is definitely top six. It was an argument between him and Jesse Bates at five. But he's definitely up there. He's a tremendous player. He really earned his money last year. All right, number one, I'm pretty sure we're in agreement on this, but who knows. I'm saying Minka Fitzpatrick. I mean, another stealer, another guy I don't like seeing twice a season because I know at least he's going to get one pick. But, I mean, Minka is one of those stories of he goes, he gets drafted to a team, they don't use him right. He gets, goes to another team, and it's like a perfect fit. Everything just clicks. Minka's pretty much what you want in your modern day safety. He's going to pick off passes. He's going to be great in coverage. He's going to be a physical tackler. He is going to get the job done. And I mean, with the Steelers, I mean, the combination of him and uh, TJ Watt is just not one that I enjoy facing. Yeah, for me, number one is on Mika also. Everything that you just said. And it's going back to what you said, like he was in Miami, he showed flashes of being great. But then he got drafted to he got traded to Pittsburgh. I'm sorry. And then it's like it was a instant like draft. It was an instant fusion of like greatness and greatness. Like as soon as he went to Pittsburgh, he became a completely different player. So I gotta go with Mika at one. 
All right, and I don't know if you have a list of the top five kickers, but I'm just going to show some love. Number one, Justin Tucker. Two, Youngway Cool. Three, Harrison Bucker. Four, Jason Sanders. And five, T- Tyler Bass. Because, you know, kickers are people too. If you don't have a list, it's fine. I know, I'm sorry. Oh, it's all good. All right, so a lot of people got money in the NBA that made me look real sad looking at my own bank account. But also there were some NFL players who got big extensions. First off, being Nick Chubb, he got a three-year, $36.6 million extension, over $20 million fully guaranteed. And then the next quarterback, um, Domino, dropped. When the Buffalo Bills... They gave all the bills to Josh Allen, gave him a six-year deal worth $258 million, including $150 million guaranteed. He is now the third quarterback to join the $40 million a year club. And now Josh Allen, um, when asked about a deal, said, this is not about what I've done. They are paying me for what I am going to do. So in the next six years of Josh Allen's deal, do you think he lives up to this big money contract or do you think he will not and be a bit of a disappointment? I think it depends on what do you consider living up to these deals. Let's say, I'll say it like this. If I'm giving a quarterback over 40 mil a year, I got to see at least two or three Super Bowl appearances and at least one Super Bowl win. I think that while, don't get me wrong, if I was going to give somebody money, if I had to pick between Dak and Josh Allen, I'd probably go Josh Allen just because I think there's more potential there. But, I mean, I think it's a bit much. And also, as somebody who has a quarterback who has a deal coming up, who truthfully has done more statistically than Josh Allen, I know He's going to want something similar, so I'm not looking forward to that. But, I mean, I think that just in the sway of what contracts are now, I really think it's just you're getting paid off of your potential. And I think that Josh Allen does have a lot of potential, especially based off last year. And if he can continue to build off of that, if that means keeping Stefan Diggs the whole time, I mean, you got to do what you got to do. But I think that Josh Allen has shown those flashes. But then there's those games, like the Chiefs game, when he kind of regresses. And I think that's just the frustrating thing with Josh Allen – um, do I think that I, – I think it can be done that they can get to a Super Bowl, but I don't – I still don't see them being better than the Chiefs right now. And I think that a few things are going to have to take place before they are better than the Chiefs, and that's just within their own organization. So I think that they – I definitely think they can make an, a couple of AFC championships. I think that is that is definitely within reason. But in terms of winning more multiple Super Bowls or winning a Super Bowl – I get a little bit iffy. I'm not going to lie. I get a little bit iffy. But uh, speaking of iffy, Madden has released its full rankings um, for players. And um, per usual, it's not that great. So what we're going to do now before we talk a little bit of training camp, we're going to give the five worst um, Madden rankings that we would want to change. Ethan, you want me to go first? You want to alternate? How you want to do it? We can alternate. All right, cool. All right, so... I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. So, for me, it's easy. Number five is Mingo Fitzpatrick being number 10 in the top 10. Like, he 
shown that he's clearly the best safety in the NFL. Why is it that he's the 10th best safety in May? Yeah, no, it's it's real wild. I'm going to get to Mink on mine later. But, okay, so my number five is actually a team. The Carolina Panthers getting a ranking of 73 overall, which is the second lowest in the game. The only team that has a lower team ranking is the Jets, and I'm calling buffoonery on that. I think that this past year showed that the um, the Panthers should be higher. I mean, we saw just how good Jeremy Chin was. Dante Jackson is still one of the best slot corners in the league. Roddy Anderson is great. We all know how good DJ Moore is becoming. Christian freaking McCaffrey is still there. Like, I understand you're not sold on Sam Donald and some other pieces, but the fact that they consider to have the second worst roster in the league, I'm calling shenanigans, especially when they're, at the very least, are teams like the freaking Detroit Lions and the Houston Texans ranked ahead of them. So instead of their 73, I will boost them up to a 76. All right, number four, what you got? Three, number four. Stephon Diggs and Tyreek Hill. Stephon Tyreek Hill is ranked as the third best wide receiver in Madden. That should clearly be reversed. It should be Tyreek Hill. I mean, Stephon Diggs. Stephon Diggs and Tyreek Hill. Yeah, I agree. That was definitely one that I understand in terms of like video game. Tyreek Hill is like that. He's really fast, but in terms of overall skill set, Stephon Diggs is like better than him by a country mile. All right, number four for me. You call the game the MVP edition, but you don't have the league MVP on the cover. What's up with that? So my number four, Aaron Rodgers, boost him up from a 96 to a 99. Truthfully, based off of last year alone, like I said, last year alone, I would put Aaron Rodgers as a higher overall than Patrick Mahomes just because he had a superior season to him. So I think you got to show Aaron Rodgers some love. Even if you're not going to put him on the cover, he should have a much higher man ranking. A 94 overall. (laughs) Higher than his brother, actually. Cam Jordan is definitely up there because if we just talking overall pass rush, I know for a fact I'm taking Joey Bosa, Cam Jordan at the very least over J.J. Watt. Like, J.J. Watt at his best was, like you mentioned earlier, a top defensive player in the league. But right now, he's not that same guy. His, his ranking is ridiculously high. All right, uh, number three, Amari Cooper. It seems like the same conundrum. Like, Mad really loves themselves with Amari Cooper. Always has him in the 90s. This year, he's a 92. Personally, I don't I don't consider him to be that high. I would bring him down to an 88. Just because while Amari Cooper has a nice game, he's not great at... He's, there's not one thing that he's just tremendous at. He just has a solid, well-rounded game. But there are still other guys who I think should be higher. Case in point, like an A.J. Brown. Honestly, I would put Justin Jefferson as a higher overall than him, too. 
But yeah, I think Amari. Oh yeah, and Mike Evans is another cat. So yeah, no, I think Amari should be lower. cover but realistically like you said we all know a rod over tom brady all right um number two for me nick bosa being a 90 i think i'm calling shenanigans on that one he barely played last year because he tore his acl and the year before that don't get me wrong he had an awesome rookie year but we're good we're talking about a guy who has not played in almost a year like he should not be a 90 I would bring him down to an 84. Let him build himself back up to 90 status. I don't think he should just get it off the rip. think it should be that difficult but all right, let's talk some training camp injuries starting with Indianapolis they have been hit pretty hard oddly enough with the same injuries first off Quentin Nelson beloved guard a bad mamma jamma in his own right had foot surgery and he is slated to be out between the next five to twelve weeks um there's really no real timetable after his injury he tweeted out third surgery of the offseason in the books no time for pity f that truth is i'm thankful thankful the early part of timetable says five weeks that gives me five weeks to do everything i can physically and mentally to be ready to go week one to smash these goals another player we got good old Carson Wentz, who it seems like the conversation is always there, that he ended up getting hurt. This time, another a foot injury that is also slated to keep him out between the next 5 to 12 weeks. Now, for an offensive guard, that sucks. But you can you have the depth for it. But for your starting quarterback, it's a whole different ball game. So of course, with the potential of Carson Wentz being out, a couple players have thrown their names in the ring. Um, Nick Foles is one of those guys. Talked about his love for Frank Wright and said Frank is one of my all-time favorite coaches, if not my favorite coach of all time. He mentioned that he would still be able to play. Um, there was a pundit from C uh, CBS Sports who said. Marcus Mariota will be an upgrade over a healthy Carson Wentz if the Colts trade for him. And then Frank Wright, he spoke on the team situation and told uh, second-year quarterback Jacob Eason out of Washington that this was his team. So it seems like he may be getting the reins after a while. So, Ethan, in your opinion, what should Indy do? Trade or stick with Jacob Eason? And I know that's kind of 
Yeah, I would. I like Jason, Jacob Eason a little bit coming out of college, but I just think that you just want another veteran presence. And I mean, Nick Foles is a veteran. I mean, a big reason why you go after Carson Wentz is because of that familiarity with Frank Wright. So why would you not go after another quarterback who has that familiarity? Oh, and just so happened to start the Super Bowl and win. So, yeah, I would go Carson Wentz in that regard as well. Moving on to the NFC East, a couple of wide receiver injuries. Um, rookie Eagles wide receiver Devontae Smith is expected to miss the next few weeks after suffering a minor knee sprain during training camp. And then going to the New York Giants, a new free agent acquisition, Kenny Galladay, is expected to miss the next few weeks with a hamstring injury. Let's say these injuries are kind of are a bit more long-term than they think. Which loss, Devontae Smith or Kenny Galladay, will be the bigger blow to their respective teams? Um, I honestly am going to say Kenny Galladay. And it's hard to go against the Eagles because they don't, they already don't have any depth wide receivers. So that's why I'm going against them. They don't have depth wide receivers. Kenny Galladay is a guy that they call him and think him to be a, a true number wide receiver and to help us Yeah, I'm going to agree with you on that. Like you said, I mean, not only do the Eagles not really have depth, but let's be honest, we haven't seen Devontae Smith take an NFL snap. We may see practice, but we don't know what he's going to be in the NFL yet, so you don't really know what you're missing out on. So in that regard, I'm going to go Kenny Galladay with you as well. But I continuing on the wide receiver discussion, we're going to start off with some believable or buffoonery talking Megatron, Megatron, who congratulations as a part of the 2021 NFL Hall of Fame class. Um, now, Calvin Johnson uh, mentioned that uh, quarterback Aaron Rodgers used to recruit him whenever the Lions and Packers played each other. He said, whenever we played Green Bay, he'd be over there like, hey, man, you need to come on over to Green Bay. So, believable or buffoonery, Megatron would have won a Super Bowl with the Green Bay Packers. I believe I think he would have won at least two. I'm going to... I'm going to say buffoonery, not any. I think that him and freaking Aaron Rodgers would be freaking amazing together. But I think there was there was some times like 2010, their defense really stepped up. Then after that, it was kind of it was kind of so so. I think that they'd be a team that could put up a crazy amount of points. But I think that defensively, they I think that would hurt them. And then not to mention the times when Aaron Rodgers got hurt, because, I mean, he missed time. What was it? 2015 season. I think they still made the playoffs, though, because he came back week 17, I think, against the Bears. Then he had another injury. So, no, I don't think he would have won a Super Bowl, but I think that they would have been arguably one of the greatest wide receiver quarterback tandems in NFL history. And plus he would get the chance to stick it to the uh, Lions, which I know he would have loved. All right, let's talk Phillip Rivers. He retired this past offseason, but he's not completely shutting the door on an NFL return. He said, I'm not predicting I will play in December or January for that matter, but I have not completely ruled that out with regards to a potential comeback. Right now, he's coaching high school football, but believable or buffoonery, we will see Phillip Rivers back under center at some point of the season. Well, I think you can believe behind the center because 
Yeah, I find belief in that, too, because like you mentioned, like he's not that far removed from playing. He just played this past year. And, I mean, he's still got a lot of kids, and all those kids are expensive. So I can see him signing a one, like a short-term deal, get a couple of few more coins in his pocket, just at least just to play a little bit because, I mean, there are plenty of teams that would be happy to have him. So, yeah, I could definitely see uh, that. All right, so moving on to uh, the four, San Francisco 49ers talking about their quarterback situation. Multiple sources close to the 49ers have informed uh, Uncovered NFL that Trey Lance is inching closer and closer to starting week one for the San Francisco 49ers. He's impressing everyone in camp, winning over teammates, and winning over the coaching staff. He's progressing much faster than anyone expected. The days of Jimmy G being quarterback one are numbered. Not only that, but Kyle Shanahan also made mention that, hey, be sh- expect to see Trey Lance playing some games. He didn't say he was going to start week one, but he said expect to see him at some point in the season. So, believable or buffoonery, Trey Lance will start for the 49ers week one. Um, I think it's buffoonery to believe that he will start week one just because, like, I think as an organization, you want to give – your rookie quarterback is more time to develop as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. And I think now, like, you have Jimmy G and so, like, he's not the greatest for starting quarterbacks, but he's not the worst either. He's the guy that you've proven that you can win games with, and you can help, you can use him to help develop your hands and then whenever you feel comfortable, I'll him in to the start lineup because, like, we both are saying, like, Trey Lance has been dropping a couple of dots. Like, I just watched the video literally right before we recorded when he dropped a dime to Brandon Ayuk in training camp. So, and I think he's presumed the same thing that if Jimmy G doesn't have, like, he has the stronger arm. He's more aggravated. He's kind of fits more of the quarterback of today in the NFL than Jimmy G does. So, I wouldn't be surprised if he plays at some point in the season, but it's even before that he starts week one. Yeah, I'm calling buffoonery on that, too. I just think that they're going to give Jimmy G a chance or two within the first few weeks. Um, Of the many other quarterbacks who potentially be starting, we talked Mac Jones and Justin Fields. I think that Trey Lance may be the one who waits the longest of those three. Um, just because I feel like they're going to try to get, you know, milk Jimmy G for as much as they can in the meantime. But, yeah, I'm calling before on that, too. All right, let's talk safeties. Landon Collins, who in his time with the Giants was a bad man. Since he's been with the Washington, he's still been solid, but he's hoping to get better. He said, I want to prove I am the best safety on the field and around the league. I've done it before. I can do it again. Believable or buffoonery, Landon Collins will etch his name as the top safety in the league once again. Um, I think he, you have a lot of great safeties already established. You also do have a lot of guys that, like, that reintroduce their name into the hands, like, being great safeties, like my guy Kevin Bayard for the Titans. And also, I just think, you know, it's not just 
just because you have one great season doesn't really put your name as the top safety. I think having a couple of great seasons doesn't really put your name as the top player at a position. So if he were to be, if he were to have a great season this season, he might have the top 10, but I don't see people putting him automatically as the top safety. I agree. I just think that, like you said, you got to do more than just be the top guy. Even though there's such a recency bias, and if he does have a tremendous year, I'm sure people will try to put him in the top rankings. But to be catapult everybody to be the top guy, I think that's a lot to ask for. All right, let's move on to the Jacksonville Jaguars, who have a lot of high expectations. In fact, uh, Pete Briscoe of CBS Sports said in 2022, that's a playoff season for the Jags. Believable or buffoonery? The Jacksonville Jaguars will be in the playoffs next year. I'm calling buffoonery. Hot buffoonery. No. They won't. Because the reality is you see who you're going up against. The Tennessee Titans and the Indianapolis Colts. They're clearly the top two teams in that division. Then you have a baby of other teams in the AFC. You have the Chiefs. You have the um, you have the Ravens, you have the um, Browns. Like, it's a multitude of things that are in front of you. And honestly... That's not even talking about in their division. Because you still got Titans yeah. and the Colts. Yeah, and the thing is, the difference between these and other scenarios is a lot of these things that are in front of them, they're ascending. They aren't declining. Like, the Steelers, yes, they're declining. But it's a lot of other teams, i.e. the Chiefs, i.e. the Titans, i.e. the Colts. Like, they're on the road to ascension to become a Super Bowl caliber team. It's not the only team that's declining that you can just, oh, you know, come on, it's a good spot. Most Yeah, most deaf. All right, so final question, unbelievable buffoonery. Taylor Lewan. Your left tackle for the Tennessee Titans has never been one to hold his tongue. But this time, he spoke some facts, potentially. Um, in a recent interview with the Checkdown, he said that 2014 draft class is top five. Before you denounce it, here are a few cats that were drafted. Devontae Adams, Aaron Donald, Mike Evans, Odell, Khalil Mack, Allen Robinson, Derek Carr, Zach Martin, Jarvis Landry, Kyle Fuller, Ryan Shazier, Taylor Lewan. So... They got some bodies in the 2014 draft class. Would you say that they were top five? I, I think it's believable. Yes. And the reason I'm saying is, 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 is you honestly, in the draft class, you drafted two generational attacks. Aaron Donald, he's a guy that you can go down with. If my time history is over, if he stays at the same number he's been playing, this is going to go down to the age. So you can look up in like four to five years from now and he retired. And you can be like, Aaron Donald he could probably be the best defensive player that you've seen in the NFL. Yeah. Same thing to to a lesser extent with Khalil Mack. Like yes, we just talked about how he slowed down the time. But he's another guy where you can look at him and be like, Oh my god, this man was probably one of the best defenders in the NFL. You can look at him with like a bunch of guys on their list, like they were, they have, it's not being to be top five, Yeah, it's a great class. All right, now this isn't a leaveable or buffoonery, but it's a, it's another NFL curse. We talk about the Madden curse, but there is another curse that is sweeping the league, and it is the championship curse. Now, since 1996, 
at least one team from the conference finals failed to make the playoffs the following year. So here were the conference finals teams um, last year. It was the Bills, Chiefs, Packers, and Bucks. If you had to pick one of those teams to miss the playoffs this year, who would it be? All right, so... The, since 1996, at least one team from the conference finals failed to make the playoffs the following year. So, between the Bills, Chiefs, Packers, and Bucks, which of those teams, if you had to pick, would be the one to miss the playoffs this season? Uh, I would say the Packers. That's fair. Packers... I almost said Packers. Like, if it was still the uncertainty with Aaron Rodgers, I would definitely say Packers. But I'm going to say the Bills. Biggest reason being, I, even though they're clearly right now the best team in the AFC East, I think that their division isn't necessarily one that's like, I just wouldn't expect anybody to go crazy. Like, let's say Mac Jones gets with the Patriots and, like, they just wreak havoc because their defense just gets back to where they were a few years ago, which helped them win games. Or even Tua, who's to say Tua can't turn the corner? And that's just, and then looking outside of the division, there's so many teams you can make an argument for making that playoff spot. I mean, there's multiple teams out of the AFC North that could do it. Multiple teams potentially out of the AFC South that could do it. The West. So I think that the, right now the AFC is much more competitive than the NFC right now. And so I think that whereas in the NFC, you can make the playoffs winning seven games, seven or eight games. But with the AFC and where it is right now, I think you have to be on your P's and Q's at all times. And of the four teams, I could see the Bills potentially being the ones to slip out of it. But all right, let's go ahead and talk some NBA action. Starting with the NBA draft. Ethan, kick things off your top three favorite draft picks. My top at 15th overall, mainly just because in the NBA today, you got to be able to shoot. And for a team that the, like the Wizards that are going through so much transition, which it seems like Bradley Beal wants to be a part of, 
Help that man out. Get him some shooters, or at least at the very least, give him some bench people who can produce when he's off the court. I think that Corey Kisper can be that guy, especially if his shot can continue. Uh, two, I got the Bulls taking uh, A.O. Dusimu out of uh, Illinois with the 38th overall pick. This is a guy who, if you stick to watching college basketball alone, you question why he wasn't a first-round pick. But, I mean, he's just one of those cats who can do a little bit of everything but not necessarily great at anything. And I think that with the Bulls and the depth that they've really acquired, especially since free agency, I think that he'll have a lot of nice veterans to learn behind to help really evolve his game. And then number one, the Brooklyn Nets taking Cameron Thomas with the 27th overall pick. I mean, we talked about it quite a bit, but the Nets bench was not it last year. They really dropped the ball a lot. And so with Cam Thomas, that gives them a reliable scoring option, you know, if he reaches his potential. So KD doesn't feel like he have to play, has to play 40-plus minutes, or Harden doesn't feel like that, or Kyrie. So they can look to their bench and still have somebody who can come off and really put up some productive points. All right, top three least favorite picks. For me, starting off at number three, the Kings taking Davion Mitchell with the ninth overall pick. Not because I don't love Davion Mitchell. Davion is actually one of my favorite prospects of the class. I just think that right now, unless they're really going to trade um, De'Aaron Fox to, like, um, what's called Philly, it's really interesting how many guards they're trying to get because right now you still have Tyrese Halliburton, you still got Buddy Hield in the fold, you got De'Aaron Fox, and now you bring in Davion Mitchell. So, like, right now I really don't know where exactly he fits in to the current makeup of the team. So, like I said, it's nothing against Davion himself because I think he's a good player. I'm just confused as to, like, where does he fit in. Uh, number two, the Spurs taking Joshua Primo with the 12th overall pick. While that pick was being made, we were recording our free agency prediction. I remember both of us being like, what? Like, I feel like at that time there were a lot better guards available. Moses Moody was available. Um, there just name one. Keon Johnson was another cat who they kind of could have got. So the Joshua Primo move was um, definitely a questionable one for me. And then number one, the Rockets taking Usman uh, Garuba with the 23rd overall pick. I understand he's a great defensive player, but I think that in today's NBA, you have to be able to score. And if you look at his scoring numbers, I want to say he averaged less than like six points a game. And I think that in the NBA, that's not necessarily going to fly, especially for a team like the Rockets that are going through such a rebuild. You want to have as much firepower as you can possibly get. And I did get that with Jalen Green. I think that does help. But I think that Garuba at that point, they need more than just Garuba. So those are my least, three least favorite picks. So for me, you have two Prima. Um, Josh 
Joshua Primo Pete, like you say, when you walk in the draft, you walk for like, what are you doing? And the reason I don't understand it is because you guys already currently have your point guard of the future and the John Murray. Right. And Patty Mills is gone too, so Patty's gone, so now we kinda make sense because Patty's gone, then why would you waste a a top twelve pick on a backup point guard when you could just draft somebody that could potentially be a starter in another position? Like I eat at Moses Lee. The Martin Rosen's gone. Who's gonna play the two or the three for you guys? Like you see you still have Gary White. So you could have inserted Moses Moody into three and you would still have a pretty decent foundation to build upon. But it's like you drafted a backup point guard. It's and number number three, I have to go with the Grizzlies drafting Zaire Williams for the reason of I think it's one of those picks where like where they might have reached too far. Mm-hmm. Like he we know that he was in high school, he was one of the best players in the country. He was one of the top I think top three small forwards going into his um college season. I do understand that when he was in staff and he went through a lot of adversity, he went through two, I think two family members passed and he, they didn't have an actual like season because of COVID. Well, they had a home arena and things of that nature and his numbers might have reflected. But it's like you have a proven guy that played in the SEC right down the street in Moses Moody. So I have to close out here at number three. All right, fair enough. So you mentioned your draft winner um, when you said the uh, the Golden State Warriors. I almost said Golden State, but I'm going to go differently. I said my winner would be the Pistons just because they made a lot of, uh, in addition to Cade Cunningham, they made some other solid picks that, of course, I'm not saying I think they're going to make the playoffs anytime soon, but I think it's a nice foundational piece. Um, but who would you say is your draft loser? I'm going to say the San Antonio Spurs, which I don't really think of the Spurs as losers often, but I don't think this draft helped them at all. I'm absolutely agreeing with you. I think that this draft for the Spurs created more confusion than they did these issues. All right, and so looking at teams that have really kind of bolstered their young core, there seems like the Orlando Magic, who have acquired a lot of young talent, uh, drafting Jalen Suggs and Franz Wagner. In addition, already having cats like Wendell Carter, Cole Anthony, Mo Bamba, Markel Fultz, just to name a few. And then, of course, there's teams like the Thunder, who got Josh Giddy, um, Lou Dort. They're pretty much their projected starting five. The oldest players are Shy and Tony Bradley, who are both 23. So between those two teams that are both incredibly young, which one do you think is better suited for the future? I would have to go with the Oklahoma City Thunder because a they already have a they already have their best player. Yeah. Like Shaquille Alexander is a foregone conclusion; he's their best player. But now they're in the process of trying to build a round him. As far as the Orlando Magic, they really don't know who's their best player. Like is it Cole? And they also have a very interesting debacle of the situation. They have a lot of guards. I think Markel Fultz ends up getting moved. He might, but, like, they have Markel Fultz who was showing flashes like the previous two 
before the magic really don't have any direction like while they're they're young players but outside of shy um with the thunder i i have get more excited about them at least for a name basis but i just don't see them having really any direction whereas i feel like the thunder are really trying to get some direction so i think that's really like like you mentioned with the so many guards kind of that whole debacle is going to make it frustrating so, yeah, no, in that instance, I agree with you with the Thunder. All right, let's talk free agency. At first, I was ta- I was thinking about, like, going over some of the deals, but then it's like, that's pointless because if you're listening to this, I'm assuming you already know where most of the free agents are by this point. So, it's a- so instead, let's just go down and break down some of our favorite deals. So, us, uh, Ethan, you want me to start off with my top five best deals, or do you want to go? Okay. All right, cool. So, go ahead. Alright, so for me, I like, I'm not going to go with a home run out of the gate. Let me see. I actually like the, from the Milwaukee Bucks standpoint, I like the Milwaukee Bucks trading for Grayson Allen. I think he adds, he adds another, I don't think he's going to be like a super prominent piece to that puzzle, but he's a guy that can defend, he can knock down shots. And I think that's something that the more guys you have, like, the better when you're the better. Yeah, I feel you on that. Uh, number five, I'm going to say John Collins staying with the Hawks on that five-year, $125 million deal. I think that even though we all know that the Hawks are, tra- are Trey Young's team, the ability and the presence of John Collins makes a big difference. And so the chance for them to really work out that deal and get him locked up long term, I think that that's going to work out for both sides because now it's not that question of are they going to trade me? Do they even still want me? And then for the Hawks, they don't have to worry about him because now all they have to do is just go in and do their job. So for five, for me, at five, uh, that's it. Um, for me, at four, I actually have, um, I have the Miami Heat re-signing Dr. Robinson, simply because he he's one of the better shooters in the NBA. And you add him to a Heat team at the time, it's still kind of crazy if they don't have that much shooting. So he's a piece that you, must, you really need for the trying for the Heat. Yeah, I I'm very happy that they were able to bring him back. Pretty pricey, but then again, I think that's just kind of the range for NBA shooters at this point. Uh, number four for me, I'm gonna say Lonzo Ball to the Bulls. Um, towards the end, we both kind of figured that the Pelicans weren't gonna resign him, and so especially at the time of this move, I think that it was a nice fit. I mean, Lonzo is a pure point. His game is getting much better with regards to shooting and defensive ability, and I think that that's going to really serve well in the Billy Donovan run system, and especially with 
you know, what's going on with the team as of right now. I think they need as much of a point guard presence as they can get. And I think that bringing in Lonzo, who, like we mentioned, continues to get better, was a good move by the Bulls. For me, in three, I have this is where I put Lonzo. I think he was a great fit, simply because he's a guy that can run that offense and get guys in the spots that they need to be, can put the ball in your scorer's hands in spots that they're comfortable. He also is a guy that can play great defense and has shown the tendency now to be a knockdown shooter in catch and shoot situations. All right, so next for me at three, I'm going to say Devontae Graham going to the Pelicans on that sign-and-trade, four-year, $47 million. I think that we've seen a lot of nice flashes from Devontae Graham um, with the Hornets, but, of course, with um, I mean, LaMelo getting there and then just other cats. Like I think his role and his friends has kind of diminished a bit, but whereas with the Pelicans, I think that he can really step up. And I think that he'll get um, broadcast a lot more. I mean, while Zion does his job within the post, I think that he'll have a lot of opportunities to really kind of be that guy in the backcourt who can really make those plays. And, of course, he's not Alonzo Ball in terms of being a passer. But I do think that his scoring ability is going to play a nice role in what they're trying to do and build a, continue to build a nice base around Zion. Um, I think for me, number two, I am going to say – the Utah Jazz re-signed a Mike Conley simply because this is a guy now that he's fully healthy, he's fully comfortable in his role in Utah. And he's, in that, he's one of those pieces that you need as you continue to try to aim for a championship. You need a secondary guy that can handle the ball and make plays the box out of the picture. And I think him playing in Utah would be good for the Jazz. Number two, um, this is where I have Kimball Walker to the Knicks on that one-year, $8 million deal. I mean, he did get traded to the um, Thunder, but he ended up getting bought out because nobody really expected him to stay there. And so with that trade, I think that him going to the Knicks now, I think that it provides that scoring option, you know, outside of Julius Randle. Um, whereas being a scoring point guard didn't necessarily work in Boston, I think that his presence will be a lot more felt and much more helpful to what the Knicks are trying to do. And I think that he'll, him and uh, Tom Thibodeau will definitely mesh well. And I think that he'll really help out this um, Knicks team a lot. For me, number one, I, I have to have Kyle Lowry going to the Miami Heat. I think he's a guy, I guess he's older, just like a lot of the other guys on their team. But he's another dog. Like, he's a guy that's going, that's not afraid to go out and feed the moment. And the thing also that he provides is he's actually a good shooter. Like, that's the difference. You now playing Jimmy Butler with, with someone else that can create off the dribble and can also knock down shots on the outside. And I think that's, and also, honestly, it's really, it weakens a rival in the Eastern Conference. Like, because who's to say is Toronto were to get everybody the band back together and they will make, be able to make a run towards the playoff. But without Kyle Lowry, we don't know what it's going to look like. Yeah. And you also remove you also remove the ability to of strengthening another rival in the biggest pieces. We knew yeah. that Kyle Lowry fan was attached to Philly for quite some time, so I gotta go with Kyle Lowry at number one. That's a good that's a very good one too. Um for me at number one I'm going another point guard before a different direction. I'm gonna say Spencer Dinwiddie to the Washington Wizards. Russ is gone. 
all right, cool. What do you do now? Like I like I mentioned earlier, it seems like Bradley Beal is determined to make it work with this team. And am I saying that Spencer Dinwiddie instantly makes him a winner? No, but I do think that Spencer Dinwiddie is going to be coming to this team with a chip on his shoulder. I think that last year he kind of, even before the injury, I think he kind of got bumped down a bit just because Kyrie was there and KD was there. So he became less of a focal point for that offense. Whereas with the Wizards, I think that he'll be able to showcase his role and get a lot more offensive opportunities. And we've seen what he can do in flashes, and I'm excited to see what he can do um, as a starter, especially with somebody like Bradley Beal. Like I said, I don't think that this makes the Wizards like an automatically just super team, but I think that in addition to the rush trade, signing him and their draft, I think that it provides nice depth for the team that they haven't had in some time. So even if they do trade Bradley Beal, at least they're not starting completely from square one. But all right, let's switch gears to our top five worst deals um, for me, starting at five, Jared Allen staying with the Cavs, getting five-year, $100 million deal. Not because I think Jared Allen is a bad player, but you would not talk about it off the air. Just big men who can do a little bit of something are going to get big money. And this is the case for that, where that money could have been used elsewhere or if you could really die. question if um, Jared Allen was worth a $100 million contract, he got it. And so that's why it's definitely top five for me. to the Spurs, three-year, $42 million. I understand you want to bring in another three who can shoot, but it's like, that's really his game. Whereas DeMar DeRozan has a bit more of a multifaceted game, the money that they gave Doug McDermott is like pretty much like starter caliber money. And so it's like, is he really supposed to be there to replace DeMar? Because at this point, it looks like the team has just gotten worse. And I think that with the limited game of a Doug McDermott, I think it's going to come back to bite the Spurs. Um, for me, I am going to have to go with, I'm not going to lie, I'm going to come up to the mix. I think in theory, it sounds great, but we don't know if Kimba's actually healthy, and we also don't know what Kimba we're getting. Like, he's showing signs of regression throughout the last couple of seasons. Like, it sounds great if the guy that's returning home to his home city, but for the mix, it's like, it kind of feels like that was a consolation prize. Yeah. Like, you could have kind of, you could have gotten somebody better, but you stuck with you, you took a unique chance, and you weren't able to get a big fish, and you signed Kimber, and it's like, what are we getting? And I might, my words, Kimber might fall out with you. Yeah. But this is what I understand, and it's like, it's a bad deal to me. I understand that. Uh, moving on to number three, Kelly Olynyk to the Pistons for me. While I did praise the Pistons on their draft, the Kelly Olynyk thing was a bit interesting just because they have already have a lot of big – they already have a lot of forwards on their roster presently. I mean, I want to say Jeremy Grant is still in tow. Um, the rookie they got last year's name escapes from – Sadiq Bay. And other cats. Like, they already have a lot of people at the four. So it was just 
interesting that Kelly Olenek would be the one that they decided to bring in. Um, but then again, I mean, I don't see the Pistons like a really contending team. But this was one of those that like made me raise an eyebrow a bit. What you mentioned about looking at what they used to be compared to they are now, like that's how I feel about all the Lakers trades. But we can get, I mean, Lakers sign up, we can get to that later. So, yeah, I feel you on that. Uh, number two, Alex Caruso to the Bulls, four year, 37 mil. This was a weird one for me. Um, mainly one being they already have a good amount of guards in tow Lonzo, Kobe White, um, somebody else's name. I literally just came off the top of my head. And because of the money that Caruso is getting, you're expecting him to see some substantial time. But the thing is, Caruso's not really a cat made to play the two. Neither is Kobe White. Neither is Lonzo. And plus, who they're not going to play the two at all unless you're thinking about moving Zach Levine to the two. But then because you have DeMar DeRozan, you have that question of why would you do that. So bringing in Caruso was just, I feel like you can get depth at the uh, point guard, but I think you could have done better than Caruso and got a lot cheaper. I just think it kind of jumbles the backcourt a bit, and it kind of just begs the question of, well, what's going on with Kobe White? Why didn't you trust him enough to be that six man? So, yeah, I didn't. I don't really like that move at all. Uh, yeah, I'm in agreement with you. I don't understand the Alex Caruso moves. It makes no sense. Like, I think. It's obvious that he's going to play the two coming off the bench, and I honestly know how their rotation, their starting rotation is going to work. It's going to honestly be longer with the ones that can be at two tomorrow the three. Um, Isaac Okoro at the four and Luch at the five. But it's like outside of that, why it kind of don't make sense. Yeah, it was a weird one. And the number one for me, we talked about the Knicks kind of going for next man up. Well, this was like next, next man up. Getting Evan Fournier, four-year, $78 million deal. I know that he is balling or was balling for Team France. I get that. But Evan Fournier is not a guy who I'm willing to give this much money to. Like, he was solid in his time with the Celtics after getting traded from the Magic. And with the Magic, I mean, he was a very good option. But then again, it was the Magic. Who else really was going to be scoring on the perimeter there? So this, to me, was just a weird signing because I don't see him as exceptionally better than what you already have with R.J. Barrett. And so I don't really know how this would necessarily fit with what they're trying to do. So it's definitely my least favorite move of uh, free agency. For me, I am going to say, I'm going to tell you a shocker. I'm going to say DeMar DeRozan going to the Chicago Bulls. Simply 
you because to me it kind of doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. You you have you have a guy like the Seth Levine who's an established talent that needs the ball in his hands. You have a guy in Lonzo that he doesn't necessarily need the ball in his hands, but he he's a guy that you put the ball you put the ball in his hands to set up him and Vucevic, the two guys that need the ball in his hands, and it's like. DeMar, his game fires off having the ball in his hands. He, yes, he, he's a willing pass, but he averaged like six or six last season. The most for his career. But it's like, I think that that was a move that if you were to say, you know, Reggie Willis, who's a guy that's a three and D, a, lot, a guy that can defend and shoot, that would make more sense to me because it's like you have, you can present Lonzo, Zach Levine, they can drive and kick and those things, and they can make the defense rotate. And then you can run situations with Vucevic. It's like, you know, if you go, Vucevic likes to post up. The yeah. It's kind of a similar situation where it's like you're putting two guys that like to be in similar spots on the court because that Levine, he, he utilizes the mid-range also. So, to me, he kind of didn't make sense. I feel on that, yeah. It's 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 kind of a weird when the Bills, I mean not the Bills, the Bulls, they made moves that were like, okay. And then there were other ones that were like, it was weird. Uh, speaking of moves, uh, but speaking of moves that were more than okay, quite a few players got max extensions. Now, we talked about the players who made big money, but these are the cats who made real big money. Uh, starting off with uh, Luka Dunchik, who was offered a five-year, $202 million contract extension. He's expected to sign that um, once at the conclusion of the Olympics. Uh, Jimmy Butler received and signed a Supermax from the Miami Heat, four-year, 182 mil. Steph Curry got yet another $200 million deal, four-year, 215 mil. Trey Young got five-year, 207 mil contract extension. And then Kevin Durant got a four-year, $198 million contract extension. So of the guys that I mentioned, which deal and extension do you think is going to pay off the most? just for the in the terms of he hasn't entered his prime yet he's still very young and I think that just in terms of potential like if I look down the line two three years from now I would say that I think Luke is going to be the best player of the ones that we name KD is amazing right now Steph is amazing right now but Luca has potential to be I'm not necessarily going to say on their level in terms of like overall greatness but I can see him being the best if not one of the best players in the NBA a couple years down the line from now. So I'd probably go Luka just in terms of potential. 
All right, one more thing before we close out. Um, play a little bit of believable or buffoonery. While a lot of free agents have found homes, there are still a few who are still waiting to get a contract. So kind of lightning around this, I'm going to name five free agents, and you're going to tell me the first thing that comes to your mind about where they should sign. Are you ready? Uh, Paul Millsap. JJ Reddick. Josh Hart. Boogie. You said Boogie? Mm-hmm. And you're everybody's favorite free agency darling, Dennis Schroeder. If he was going to get his bag, he would have got it by now. Because at this point, the bigger deals are out the way. So, yeah, I don't think I don't think it's going to happen. Um like the plus the Celtics, I doubt they're going to give him as much as he thinks he's worth. So, like you mentioned, if he really trying to get a lot of money, his best bet at making money would have to be to a bad team, but if he does sign with the Celtics, like you mentioned, I don't like the fit either and I don't think he's going to get the money he thinks he deserves. But all right, so let's go ahead and move on. Damian Lillard, one of the most talked about guys this offseason. Will he or won't he be traded? And if we looked at right now what was going on with the Trailblazers, it's probably looking like he's going to request a trade. They have not done much really to become a championship roster. They signed Cody Zeller, Tony Snell, somebody else whose name I cannot remember to save my life. In other words, not people who inspire championship faith. So Stephen A. kind of talked about that and said, if Damian Lillard wants out of Portland, his number one choice is going to be the New York Knicks. So believable or buffoonery, the Knicks would be Damian Lillard's best landing spot. I'm saying buffoonery. I'm saying 76ers. Yeah, because, I mean, right now, in terms of if he wants – I actually, even before the Knicks, I would say the – um, I would probably say the Clippers. Since they brought Kawhi back, I would say Clippers um, over Knicks. The only reason I wouldn't say the Clippers is what we don't know what they financial situation looking like. Like, are they – do they actually have a means to make their trade? I can see that. I think I would look at it in the sense of – it might be another situation like with the Nets to where you get your three superstars, but then you really don't have the flexibility like to really have your bench. Like Reggie uh, Jackson just signed like a two-year $22 million deal, something like that. But really other than that, they haven't made many moves. So you might have to rely on cheaper young cats or veteran minimums to fill out the rest of your roster. All right, next up, speaking of the Brooklyn Nets, um, Adrian Woge of ESPN reported that after medical consultation, seven-time All-Star forward LaMarcus Aldridge is seriously considering a return to the NBA this season. Aldridge retired with Brooklyn in mid-April with heart concerns, but is exploring the possibility of resuming his 15-year career. So, believable or buffoonery, LaMarcus Aldridge will return to the NBA. Uh, 
I think it's some belief in it. Yeah, I think it's belief too. Yeah, I think he'll he'll definitely go to a team and like maybe the contender towards the latter end of latter end of the season that just needs like some more adventure big presence. Kinda of like what Boogie did this year with the Clippers. Yeah, I can see that too. Cause I think that with heart issues, nobody wants to, you know, risk anything. And so because of that, I can see him going somewhere, like you said, like he won't be asked to do too, too much. Like he'll just be another death piece. Like whether it be another situation to go into Brooklyn or maybe a team like the Clippers or something like that, somewhere where he would not be relied upon to do too much, I think that that would work out best in his best interest. Uh, speaking of bringing people back, um, we talked about Isaiah Thomas looking healthy off the air, and it's looking like his former team, the Boston Celtics, have noticed. And in fact, according to Mark Stein, the Celtics are interested in bringing back Isaiah Thomas. Believable or buffoonery, Isaiah Thomas should go back to the Celtics. I'm saying buffoonery. I know, I know in terms of, like, if you want a job, a job is a job, but you still... It, I think there's still some personal things there with how he got traded, especially the year that he had beforehand and how much he gave that organization, you know, despite the adversity, despite his sister passing and everything like that. So in terms of it being a business standpoint, sure, I get why he would do it. But on a personal level, I think that they I think they hurt him a bit too much for him to go back. Understandable. All right, let's talk about the Lakers, who made a bevy of free agent moves. But the most resounding thing people came came up with are the Lakers are old. Here are just a few of the ages of their veterans. Melo is 37, LeBron is 36, Mark Gasol is 36, Trevor Ariza is 36, Dwight Howard is 35, Wayne Ellington is 33, Russ is 32, Kent Bazemore is 22. The youngest person in their potential starting lineup will be A.D., who was 28. So as you know, the media took hold of this and instantly called the Lakers old. In a uh, recently um, deleted tweet by Braun, Braun, he said, keep talking about my squad, our personnel ages, the way they play, we're past our time in this league, etc., etc., etc. Do me one favor, please, and I mean please, keep that same narrative energy, energy when it begins. That's all I ask. So, believable or buffoonery, the Lakers right now are too old to succeed. I'm not gonna find anything to hold. Like, cause they still have players that are in good positions to be productive. LeBron's still a productive player. Russell Westbrook's still a productive player. Carmen Anthony came back and showed he played a while to be a productive player. That's not what I think is gonna hinder them from winning the championship. What I think is gonna hinder them from winning the championship is you can literally count on one hand how many players on this hand can be a consistent three-point shooter. Yeah. 
Yeah, I agree with. I don't think that age is necessarily going to be the problem. Because, I mean, if we're being honest, considering all the money that's tied into LeBron, AD, and Russ, you either had to go extremely young or you had to get players who would take the veteran minimum. It really was no in between. They didn't have the financial flexibility to really do anything else. And so. With them being older, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, with Melo, he's kind of an outlier because we knew that he wanted to play with LeBron. So, and this was just the perfect opportunity for him to come over to play with LeBron. Russ, like you mentioned, is still a talented player. He still gets the job done. So, I don't really think age will necessarily be the factor. But, yeah, like you mentioned, just consistently shooting – I think that's going to be a bit of a problem because in today's NBA, if your team cannot consistently shoot, you're going to struggle regardless of who you are or your name value. And the Lakers had that problem last year, and I think that the problem is only made worse this year considering their current roster. All right, but a team that we all know has no problem shooting, the Golden State Warriors, who much talk was made about them trading their two lottery picks for a proven superstar, but that move did not happen. Um, Joe uh, Laker, a part of the – sorry, my brain is all off. Joe Laker, the owner of the Warriors, made mention of them not making trades for a superstar. He said, I know this isn't popular with a lot of people. They think we ought to go get the next star. We already have the stars. He said, if we can't compete for a title, then you should look at um, you should look at what we've done so far. I think that Steph, Clay, Draymond, Andrew Wiggins, and I think will be good enough. Steph added after signing his uh, contract extension, he said, we want to win. And if anybody was not with that, then we've got issues. I don't think I'd have signed up for five years of that. So believable or buffoonery. The Warriors made the right decision, not adding another superstar. I honestly think it was the right decision, simply because you you add another superstar. First off, what position would you add? What superstar would you add? And it's like, in order to add a superstar, you more than likely might have to give up play. And if you give up Clay or Draymond, one of the two, you might have to give up. Probably more specifically Draymond, because I think everyone knows that Clay is more of an untouchable piece. But once you give up, like if you give up Draymond and Clay for a superstar, that ruins the culture that you guys have created. Because Draymond has been a figure, um, a key figurehead in that culture that the Warriors have created. So I think they made the right decision. And also, outside of just the right now, I think they made the right decision because it's like, okay, not only are you drafting guys, but they're here and they're now, like, trying to pursue a championship. But who's to say Steph and Clay and Draymond don't call it quits after two or three years? Yeah. Now you potentially can have guys that you can build around for the upcoming future of your franchise and Moses Moody and Jonathan Clemente. Yeah, and not to mention James Wiseman, who's there as well, who I feel like as he gets more comfortable and healthy, I think that he can have an impact as well. So, yeah, I'm in agreement with you. I think that it was the right decision just because just because you sell high doesn't mean you're going to get that same impact in return. Like you mentioned, you would have to end up giving up either Clay or Draymond. And what has made the Warriors so great and of course, Draymond is great too, but like, is the Splash Bros. When you think of the success of the Warriors, you instantly think the Splash Bros. So who's to say that 
Steph would have the same chemistry if you were to go after another shooter. Who's this? And honestly, at Clay's best, what player could you realistically get that would be better than that? So yeah, no, I agree with you. I think that they made the right decision, and I think I think they want to play it out now next year. If they find themselves in a similar situ- similar situation, I could see them kind of getting more aggressive. But for right now, I don't think it's time to you know ban down the hatches and like blow everything up. All right, so last piece. We got to talk some Ben Simmons. So, reportedly, Ben Simmons has cut off communications with almost everyone in the Sixers organization. He's letting all communications go through his agent, Rich Paul. Simmons is open to going to the Golden State Warriors. I've heard Clippers. I've heard Lakers. Heard a few teams. So, believable or buffoonery, Ben Simmons is still a hot commodity on the trade market. Yeah, I think I'll say this. I I I know we talked about it like um during the um in the NBA awards season. I thought he was gonna win uh, defensive player of the year. Like in terms of a defensive player, Ben Simmons is a very good defensive player. But like we kind of mentioned earlier, like the NBA is such an offensive game. So if he had a better offensive game, this wouldn't be a question. Like I feel like Ben Simmons would have gotten traded a long time ago. I think that teams would have been like banging down Philly's door to get that trade done. Um, in terms of a hot commodity, I think, I think yes, but it has an asterisk. To it, I think it depends which team you're talking about because he's, like you mentioned, he's not a player who fits on every single team. His game does not work for every single team. And I think that for some teams that are already pretty much set, they're not going to look at Ben Simmons like, yo, we got to get that cat. But if you see a team like the Kings or a team like um, Cleveland, like teams that are just thirsty and looking for a franchise player and have the patience to bank on that potential guy, 
Ben Simmons is that cat. Before a team that is in the playoff hunt and is vying for a championship, he doesn't necessarily have that same appeal. Maybe the Warriors might be the only exception to that. But other than that, like most other teams, like he doesn't have that appeal and they don't have the patience for him to wait for him to grow and to be in that transcendent talent that he was expected to be when he was drafted first overall. So I think that he is still a hot commodity. I just think that case in point, like the Pacers, like the teams that will be willing to give up a bit for him, the 76ers just want to get more in return, which I mean, I can understand. But all right, that is our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please be sure to check out thexreport.net. I repeat, thexreport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow X-Report writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast on our YouTube channel entitled The X-Report. Ethan, anything you want to say before we close this bad boy out? Uh, go um, all I really got to say is football season's right around the corner. Hall of Fame game was this week, three weeks of preseason, and then it's time for the start of the season. I am so excited. This is my favorite time of the year. Um, be on the lookout for, of course, we got fantasy football stuff coming out, more NFL stuff. It's just it's a fun time. Basketball is great, but my excitement lives for football. But thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you all next time.